Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, why don't we open our Bible, huh? Let's open the Bible to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. Glory to God. You found Exodus 33? Say aye. Aye. Okay. And I want to pick up a reading from... um, Verse 12, we're going to read a bit of chapter 34 as well. So when we get into chapter 34, don't think that some sort of terrible catastrophe has come upon us. It's all part of the plan. Moses said to the Lord, everyone with me? You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. So that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And Moses says these incredible words. If your presence does not go with us. Do not send us up from here. For, for how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people? Unless you go with us. And look at this now. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What else but God's presence? What else distinguishes us? Our great singing voices? Our coffee? Our comfy chairs, fatal in the afternoon meeting. What else? What on earth have we got to offer this world? If it isn't his presence, there's nothing else that distinguishes us from them. Anyway. Not really going to preach about that, but it's good, isn't it? (laughs) Verse 18, and Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And as you know, he does. And then chapter 34, the tablets have been republished. And um, here he comes. Verse 29. Moses, coming back from the chemist, he's coming down with two tablets. (laughs) Well, today he's been in the Apple store, right? (laughs) When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the Testament in his hands, watch this, watch this. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, 
His face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Well, you would be, wouldn't you? But Moses called to them so they, they have to come and talk to him. And he gives them all the commands, verse 32 and verse 33. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what, the, what he'd been commanded by the Lord, they saw that his face was radiant once again. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. I want to ask you this question today. If I were to suddenly whisk you away to an exam room, you remember those? Where you sat there terrified and a man walked up and down going, you've got 10 minutes left. You're thinking, I know. <laughs> it's not going to help though. Yeah. If I were to whisk you away to an exam room, and all Bibles away, all Google away, Siri must not speak. And I would put this Bible question to you. Bible question. Love it, don't we? We just love a bit of Bible trivia. And I would just say to you, I want you to write down on a piece of paper, why did Moses Wear a veil. You say, oh, I know this. Glory to God. I'm glad they didn't ask me anything about Pythagoras. <laughs> I know this. Because it was read out in church on Sunday. The reason why Moses wore a veil was because he was a bright light. He was like your iPhone on in the middle of the night. You know that light you could put on going to the loo at the Premier Inn over at Orchard Park? Oh, sorry. I'm just thinking of last night. He, he was a torch of, of a man. His face shone. I, I know why. Because he was too bright. He needed a lampshade. Because he was too bright. Like an Indiana Jones movie. He's too bright. He's too bright. So he needed a veil to shield them. They had not invented sunglasses. Can you say amen? <laughs> and so they had not, in the absence of sunglasses, <laughs> he veiled his face. And that's probably what most of us would write on our exam and we would all be wrong. Because that's not why he wore a veil. Because then we have to reflect on the words of the Apostle Paul. 
who, many centuries later, comes to reflect on the story. Are you ready for a bit of a shocker that's going to change the way you read that story from now and forever? So if you like it as it is, and he walks out with a bright light, you better go downstairs for a bit, because this is going to change it. Let's ruin the story with some facts, shall we? Second Corinthians 3.13 says this. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Moses wore the veil because the light was going out I mean, slowly, like that torch that you absolutely refuse to change the batteries in. Like that TV remote where the, uh, the possibility of you getting Sky News is now down to the force. <laughs> we have a ridiculous thing in our house. We grab the TV remote, touch it, and the lights go out. <laughs> On... How come when the alarm goes off, it's really going on? Has anyone ever thought about that? No, no. Moses wore a veil because his shiny face was getting less shiny and less shiny and less shiny as he was further away from his experience with the Lord. When he looked into the face of the Lord, his And when he was in the presence of the Lord, he was very, very shiny. His face shone. And when he came out, his face was shining. But here we learn that at least one of the reasons why Moses put the veil on was to conceal that the glory was fading away. Now, of course, this is a... The Apostle Paul is thinking theologically about the... The old covenant fading away in favor of the new. But nevertheless, the practicality of it remains. Moses' light was going out. And so he concealed this by wearing a veil. He wasn't concealing the glory. Watch this. He was concealing Faded glory. So, so no one could know that he was going out. It's in your Bible. I want to ask you today about the glory of God in your life. I want to ask you whether you are perhaps suffering from faded glory. But we can't tell. 
Because your veil, it's a good one. Your veil looks like there's a fire burning back there. But if we would have a little peer behind, we might find not a great deal going on. I want to talk about our own personal lives. I want to talk about the worldwide Pentecostal charismatic church. I'm going to be a bit strong today about the Pentecostals, but I'm doing it as a Pentecostal, so it's kind of allowed. It's a bit like a fat man telling fat jokes. You can somehow get away with it. I may tell a few fat jokes. And I want to talk about faded glory in your ministry. Now, faded glory is perfectly normal. We're all used to faded glory. I, uh, a few years ago, I, about 20 years ago, that was a man who had a big influence on my life, and he was amazing. There's just one thing about him. He wore a wig. Now, if one has to be careful when one says this, lest one is in the company of the wigged. Particularly men. This feels a bit... Steve, would you ever... No. Neither would I. But anyway, there you go. Each to their own, huh? Anyway, the funny thing was, having seen him 20 years on, or whatever it was, he, now, he still wore a wig, but he had changed its colour. And I just imagine the scene around the kitchen table. Darling, I think I need a different colour. And it's like, at what point did it change colour? Like, Monday night he was this, and Tuesday night it's that. I can just imagine everyone pretending not to notice. You know? I worked with, a, with an 80-something-year-old man for years, and he had the most fabulous red hair uh, that got great, great flashes of redness for uh, the early part of the month. And they would fade over the... Then suddenly the first of the month, whoa, he's a... He's a redhead again. <laughs> and I remember one time in walking uh, up, we, we worked in some caves together, funny enough. And, but it was very, very wet. And as he's walking, his hair is all wet. And I'm thinking, boy, oh, no, 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 no. There's going to be red paint running down his back all afternoon. Faded glory. Now, before we have too much of a joke with men, you ladies, you cost a fortune, don't you? Like, you, you, you've spent quite a bit of money to come out the house. I know that. I'm married. So, I, you know, I understand. You're quite expensive, aren't you? You should, be more, you should have more life insurance than you do. That's all right. You know, if you've got a barn door, paint it. I met a guy this week and uh, uh, I'm rather fond of selfies, you know. And so I always take them because no one will ever take a picture of me. So I always, I always take it. So I'm the most po popular man on social media, but only because I do all the pictures. You know. But I've noticed that over the years, I, I've wanted a slightly higher angle uh, each time, you know. And I was with a guy this week, and he's perhaps a little overweight as well. And I said, Andy, um, we need a drone now to get this uh, so high up. That we look reasonably okay. We're all familiar with faded glory. All right. So 
We accept that. But here's the thing. That's not acceptable in a spiritual life. You're supposed to go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. You're not supposed to fade. Right? You're supposed to be at your fastest like a plane at the end of the runway. Not at the beginning. And here's the thing. Sometimes, listen, look, we could be honest, can't we? You're not going to tell anyone, are you? It's going online. No one's listening. If you're listening to this online, you're alone. Anyway, get to church. Listen, let's just be honest. Sometimes when I look back, I think maybe I was more on fire for God the day I was converted than I am now. When I got converted, I went jumping and leaping and praising God. Now, I said some dumb things. I was a stupid convert. I was a really stupid convert. Made a mess, broke up with all sorts of friends, upset my parents. And you know what? I'm smart now. I wouldn't do that now. But you know what? Maybe I would trade all the smartness of where I feel I'm at now with the passion that I had back then. Now, let's not trade it. Let's have both things. In the book of Revelation, they did indeed leave their first love. By the way, don't, don't preach it wrong. They, they didn't lose their, their first love. They left it. That's the word used. You lose something. That's a mistake. You leave something. You've decided that. So, you know, it's a bit worse than it sounds. And this is what they're told. Repent for sure and do the things you did at first. You see, what happens is, you get on fire for God. Now you have a reputation like the church at Sardis for being alive. And then stuff happens. People die in your life. You lose your job. You become depressed. You, you find illness. You find difficulty. Your fire starts to go out. But you have a reputation of being alive. Where's the veil? I need the veil. Because I've got faded glory, but I don't let anyone know. Where's the veil? Now here's what you should do. You should travail. Not reach for the veil. When your fire starts to go out. I think we should do the thing. Isn't it amazing that some of the smartest we've ever been was the day we first met him. Isn't it amazing? Oh, Jane wants to take a picture. Let's do a drama shot. <laughs> How many of you know she should have taken it from higher up? <laughs> Don't 
Don't you remember when you were first saved? Come on. How amazed you were. You loved Jesus. You hadn't become a professional Pharisee then. You loved people. You loved God. You were grateful. You didn't care if the, if the church seat was hard. You didn't care what the coffee was like. Listen, brace yourself. Get your seatbelt on quick. Get into crash positions, everybody. You didn't even care who was preaching. God, you care now. Oh, no, it's him. Oh, Lord. Just feel the cult of Methodism today. Come on. So your fire starts to go out. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Your fire starts to go out. What are you going to do? Come on, Steve, help me with this. I found this. Look at this. Come on, just whack this on me. This isn't going to go well on the podcast, but... No, no, on my head. Yeah, I... I'm still on fire, everyone. <laughs> Look at my face. I, I, I'm as red hot as a preacher at a royal wedding. <laughs> now, what does this look like? Sometimes this doesn't look like staying at home. Sometimes this doesn't look like hiding from church. Sometimes this looks and sounds like this. I love you, Lord Jesus. That's... Come on! But you're fake, aren't you? You don't want to be fake. You want to be on fire, but somehow you're not. So you better play the game. You better go grab the veil. Friend, you don't, you don't have to grab the veil. You just have to go back to the, into the presence of the person who can make your face shine again. It's so simple. Oh, no, no, I need to do something else. No, no, no. Go get the real. And you have to get the real from him. I think about the Pentecostal church. I wonder if the glory has faded in the Pentecostal church. Now, listen, I, could, I am a Pentecostal. You understand? I'm like Brighton Rock. You cut me and you'll find the word fire on the inside. Yeah. It, in a Pentecostal accent. Whatever happened to the glory of God? I'm a, a Bible teacher at a Bible college. Really. I was until I preached this message. <laughs> and um, I teach 40 hours on Pentecost every year. Sometimes a bit more, but 40 hours. And sometimes I talk about revivals and 
I talk about the glory of God. I talk about the heavy presence of God filling a room. I talk about not being able to speak, which is something that happened to me. I talk about meetings being taken over by the Holy Spirit, not by crazy stuff, but genuine, authentic. The Holy Spirit moving on a place. No one able to move. No one wants to go home. People queuing for hours to get in. In the Brownsville revival, I stood in a queue. No, no, it's in America. A line (laughs) at 10 a.m. so I could get through the door at 6 p.m. every day. I talk about the times of, of spiritual ecstasy. The holy hush. The speaking in diverse languages and the interpretation of such things. And now forgive me, but many of my class, young, young guys, you know, 19, 20, looking at me. They don't know what I'm talking about. You say, well, are they not Pentecostals? Sure, they are Pentecostals. But they go to churches where the meetings are not run by the Holy Ghost. They're run by computers. Where the closest thing you get to the glory of God is a fog machine. I'm presuming it's that and not the deacons having a smoke behind the curtain. (laughs) So devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit bringing in electrical effects. What on earth? What on earth? What on earth? And disco lights. Whatever happened to the glory of God? You say, well, I like disco lights. Go to the disco then. Well, I like fog. Oh, good. Read about Jack the Ripper then. I like smoke. Fine. Go to that bit outside the pub where everyone's smoking. Go, oh, I can feel Jesus. And you know what? It's not these kids' fault. It's my fault. It's the fault of us older ones that somehow dropped the baton on this. And all I can give them is stories. And I can give them stories. But the younger generation need more than stories. They need to experience it for themselves. And who's going to demonstrate that? Who's going to demonstrate that? We are going to demonstrate that. We must lead the way. We must have fire behind our curtain. Not just a glorious curtain. There's a story from Josephus, who's a Jewish historian. We generally accept what he says as 
accurate. I guess we don't really know. But in 63 BC, BC, so in between the Testaments, Jerusalem is sieged. It's regularly (laughs) sieged, besieged. And the Roman forces occupy Jerusalem yet again. They're going to do this quite regularly. And if not them, the Babylonians and Assyrians and others. But there they are on the streets. And Josephus says this in a book called The The Antiquities of the Jews. The Wars of the Jews too. That the Roman general Pompey walked onto the campus of the temple. Listen carefully. And he walked behind that curtain. Now, do you remember the curtain in the temple? Utterly terrifying, wasn't it? You didn't go in there. Do you remember? You didn't go in there. Why couldn't you go in there? Because the Ark of the Covenant was in there and the various items and between the cherubim images on the Ark was the glory of God. And so the high priest, once, once a year, as you'll know from, if not the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews, would dress himself up and he'd have to have all sorts of ritual. Cl- Listen, follow this story, follow the story. He'd have to dress himself up, ritual cleansings. And then with the perfect sacrifice, spotless without blemish, he went behind the curtain, according to legend only, some sort of rope around him in case he died. But that's not, that's not in the Bible, but that's what some people think happened. And only he could go in there because it was too holy to go in there. And others came, they, the Gentiles came to the outer court, way over here, away from the glory. The Jewish people, as you know, were able to go a little further. And then the high priest could go all the way. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was what? Torn in two, rent in twain. To bottom. And we don't read of a bright light coming out. We don't read of people turning and their faces melting a, a la Indiana Jones movies. It was empty. Pompey, according to Josephus, found the room empty. Listen, empty. Nothing in there. Now maybe it had gone because... Maybe Jeremiah had taken the ark, hidden it during the the days of the Babylonian exile. The point is that it's it's empty. Now listen to me, listen carefully. It's empty. But people are coming from all over the world, do you understand? To Jerusalem. The Gentiles are coming. The Jews are coming. Pilgrimages. And there's ritual, do you understand? Ritual. How much blood is being shed? How many bulls and goats? How many lambs? And inside the curtain, nothing there. Because as long as there was a curtain, the show went on. 
Oh, before we get too narky about them, and we can't really be sure too much of what on earth was going on there. What about us? What about our great meetings? In at 10 and out by 5 to 12. What about our great occasions around the glory of God? Is it possible that when all the music has stopped playing? Is it possible that when all the preaching has stopped occurring? And when all the great Sunday school work has stopped happening? And the light shone in lumiere. Some charismatic churches cost more to run a service than it cost to run Les Miserables at the Queen's Theatre in London. (laughs) There's more smoke in a contemporary charismatic church than on top of the pops. (laughs) Oh, no one remembers top of the pops a while ago. Then a pop show with lots of smoke in it. Everyone understand what I'm trying to say? People are coming from all over, hearing great, great preaching. and go, But where's the glory of God? Now, do you know why I can say this here? Because I think this is a great revival church. I think the glory of God is in this church. I'd feel a lot less comfortable saying this in some other places. I wouldn't be seen anyway. They would have turned the lights off by now. What's become of the church where when you walk in, you're trying to find your seat like you're at the cinema looking for a chair? Are we turning the light off because there's nothing to see? Oh, well, nothing's happening here, so we better lower the lights. What veil are we wearing? What veil? It's a fire burning by. Listen, by all means, have a curtain, you know? By all means. Every church should have as, as much great stuff as it can. Let's have the best seats and the best sound. and Let's do all we can to be excellent, but not at the expense of the real thing. And all we're left with is songs about the Holy Ghost. I want to encourage you to want the real thing. Now look, you can have the real thing. It's not hard. You have to first, you have to take off your veil and say, I haven't quite got it together. And then you have to go into the presence of God and stand before him. You do the things you did at first. You go back to your first love. When you love Jesus, before you developed into this thing that critiques church meetings. And how good was it today? What did I get out of it today? What did you put into it today? How can you meet God and say, what did I get out of it today? 
How much of church today is veil rather than glory? Now, before we start getting too snipey, let's, you know, we're talking about our own lives. How much of your life is glory and how much of it is veil? How much veil do you need to put on? Because the glory is fading away. And for our ministries, third and final thought. Has the glory faded in my own life? Has the glory faded in the, particularly the Western charismatic church, Pentecostal church? Is the ritual going on? But there's nothing actually behind the curtain. And number three, has the glory faded? my ministry and service to him. Now we'll look at John 15. I am the vine, Jesus said. And you are the branches. Now watch this. If, say if. Yeah, if, that means this isn't a promise, this is a condition. This, this is an equation. If. That means it's possible for you not to. If someone remains in me and I in him. Well, it's different language for standing in his presence. It's different language for going into his presence like Moses did. And says, Lord, the only thing that's going to distinguish me is your presence. And so I need to be in you so you can be in me. That's what this is. I'm the vine. You're just branches. You haven't got to do anything much (laughs) apart from me. You can do nothing. Now, here's here's the thing. How How many genuine... Now, yeah, I understand this is a mature message, all right? I understand this is not Sunday school with big words. How many of God's servants? Let me talk to people who want to serve God. People like me, people like you. We want to serve God. How many hours and hours and hours are we actually doing loads of things, but in fact accomplishing nothing? Apart from me, it's not that you won't do anything. You'll just do a whole load of nothing. Here's a phrase that I, I want you to think about for the rest of your life. It comes from Robert Gladstone, an American revivalist teacher. He said this. Listen, you ready? Listen. Listen to this. He said this. The only thing that truly pleases God, and he's talking about the ministry now and acts of service. He said the only thing that truly pleases God is what he does himself. <laughs> the only thing that truly pleases God is what he does himself. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit, yes, gives birth to spirit. It's the spirit who's changing this earth. It's the Spirit 
who moves in the church. It's the spirit who moves in my heart. The only thing that really happens, if anything's happening, is by his spirit. And if I want to be some sort of vessel of his spirit, that means I've got to get out of the way. That means I've got to let him flow through me. But you know, the, uh, uh, that's not going to work if I'm just a glorious curtain with nothing behind it. Three men of God knew this. Moses knew it. Moses was the leader. He's one of the greatest leaders the world's ever known. Even to this day. Even to this day. Moses is one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. He knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. He'd met God And listen, he was deeply experienced. Yet the man who was deeply experienced and called and equipped and has got stories to tell you forever. He'd seen more frogs than a grown man should. But he can't do it. He says, Lord, you have to come with us. Well, what, what, this deeply experienced, righteous, charismatic man? Yes! You need to come with us. Because if you don't come with us, I'm not going to be any different to anyone else. And neither are these people. Moses had wonderful gifts. Moses had wonderful comradeship. A leader of leaders, but he needed the presence of God. When Peter and John are interrogated in the early chapters of Acts by the Jewish leaders, they do not commend them for their charismatic abilities. They are amazed for one thing and one thing alone. These men have been with Jesus. It's not Peter's ability to say in a loud voice, Oliver Vashandi, who stole my Honda. <laughs> Thing that they marveled at and took note, Luke says. They had been with Jesus. You can have Brother Dingaling pray for you today. And all manner of impartation can occur. You can lay hold of, send for the holy handkerchief from Sister Doodab of Alabama. You can drink the miracle spring water. You can rub on your head the oil from the Jordan. It's nothing. The only thing that's going to count is have you been with Jesus? If you want to be in the ministry, if you want to serve God, have you been with Jesus? 
Jacob knew what it was to be blessed. He's my second of three characters. Jacob knew how to steal a blessing. He stole a blessing from Isaac. And yet, at the end of this struggle with the angel, or perhaps even with the Lord, here's his line. I will not let you go. Now listen to my inflection, or my intonation. I will not let you go until you bless me. I've been blessed by it, but I won't let you go until you bless me. There are some terrific, I mean, to be envied. This church is to be envied across the country. Some of the ministries that have operated here. You know, resident, I'm not talking about people who fly in and fly out. I'm not talking about the big shots. They're just little shots away from home. You've got some of the most dedicated, charismatic, gifted, sincere people here leading this church. But they'll be the first to say, they cannot really bless you. You have to be blessed by God. Right? And if you do get a handkerchief sent you, this is what you should do. Blow your nose. (laughs) Send it back. The other day we were in Canada and I made that sound very casual. The other day we were in Canada. <laughs> but we were. And I was near a bookshop queuing for a coffee or something like that. Can't remember now. And I got chatting with a lady. I thought I should talk, you know. And um, it transpired that as we were chatting, I said, oh yeah, I used to look after... Um, Smith Wigglesworth's private letters, which I do, I did. And uh, never believe any preacher that tells you he couldn't read and write, because he wrote 30 years of letters. That's amazing, isn't it, for someone who couldn't read and write? You know, that's just a bit of hagiography. He could read and write perfectly well. He could be, he could be quite rude, too. <laughs> Forthright. Anyway, this lady, just aghast. You have touched Wigglesworth's letters. (laughs) I said, yeah, sure. Yeah. She said, can I touch your hands? I could see her like getting ready. An impartation. The Wigglesworth letter impartation. You too can write a rude letter. <laughs> now I, you know, I said, all right, love, you know, as long as my wife's not looking, let's hold hands. <laughs> so I obliged. Here's the funny thing if Wigglesworth had been there, if Wigglesworth himself had been there, he'd say, you stupid woman. You don't need my letters, you need my God. What are you going to do? Go and lie in 
John Wesley's gravy. <laughs> what are you going to do after that? I know, have a bath. <laughs> You're not going to be John Wesley by touching his t- tube. But you can be the next John Wesley, or the next you, preferably, if you know he's God. One more story. It's the story of Elijah. Elijah goes up into heaven in a, in a chariot, Second Kings chapter 2. And uh, as he's going up, his cloak falls, you know, his old coat. Because if we're going to be really Pentecostal, we're going to call it the mantle. It's a mantle. No, it's a coat. His coat fell off. No, brother, you don't understand. It was the mantle. It's his coat. It's his scruffy old coat fell off. Proof, if any be needed, that when you go to heaven, you ain't taking your favorite coat. So I wouldn't buy an expensive one now if I were you, Jane. It's not going with you. Oh, his coat fell. Now, it's a symbolic thing, of course. And Elisha grabs it. Yes, just like you would. Can I touch your hands? He grabs it. Then he strikes the water. But I want you to notice what he actually does. What does he say? Where now is Yahweh? Where is the Lord? Where is the God of Elijah? Because it's not in here. This is not it. I need the God of Elijah. Jacob says, I need the blessing of God. Moses, the highly experienced, charismatic figure, says, I need the presence of God. I need God. Cambridge needs God. It does not need a veil with no fire behind it. In your life, in my life, in the life of the churches of the city, we must have the glory of God back. Say, well, what do I do? It's so simple what you do. The altar call, which we will have, and the power of God fell in the first service, is going to fall again. But the altar call isn't really here, is it? It's tomorrow. I want to have an altar call that alters your call. So simple. What you do is you say, I'm going to quit the veil and I need to return to travail. I need to go, I simply need to go back into the presence of God. And guess what? You're going to have to go back into the presence again and again. Because there is faded glory. And that's not a reference to Moses. That's a reference to Jesus. You have to abide in me. 
There's no such thing as a one-off prayer to suddenly transform someone's life or ministry. We are followers of Jesus. Let me read just this final part. The answer really is to return to him. I want you to come back to him this afternoon. Here's a great idea. Why don't you become the Christian that you've always wanted to be? Why don't you become the Christian that you pretend that you are? And then what's on the inside will match the portrayal of the outside. Oh, we all have a bad day. We all have a bad day. But you need to be on fire. Somebody wants us, Rana Bonke, how do you stay on fire? How do you keep yourself on fire, Reinhardt? He said this to me, he said, hey! German accent you're going to get out of me. Peter Vandenberg! He said, I don't, keep, I don't keep myself on fire. He keeps me on fire. Why aren't you burning? Because you're not in the fire. And people are coming, you know. People are coming and they want fire. They don't want smoke. matter if your veil has got a flame on it you can't light them you need a real fire to light them are we failing a whole generation are we failing a whole generation of young people who for them they think the anointing means adrenaline to stop giving our young people rock concerts with Jesus' name in them. And they need to see the outstretched arm of the might of God. When children sense the touch of God, they won't run after alcohol. They won't want drugs. They won't want what the world has to must demonstrate in this hour the move of God. We must press in for a personal experience and Holy Spirit fire, not veils. 
Let's not have the nations come here or even the counties. Let's not have bulls and goats sacrificed and priests with costumes and crowds of prayers and no real fire in the house. And in that way, Haggai 2 verse 9 could be fulfilled. As soon as you know it, say it with me, that the glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.